Grace to you and peace from God our Father and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus the Christ. Our sermon text for our meditation this evening is recorded for us in the book of Joel, chapter 2, beginning at the 12th verse. Even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting and weeping and grief. Tear your heart and not your clothing. Return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and compassionate, slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and he relents from sending disaster. Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing, grain offerings and drink offerings for the Lord your God. Blow the ram's horn in Zion. Set aside a day for fasting. Call a solemn convocation. Gather the people. Consecrate the assembly. Bring together the elders. Gather the children, even those nursing at the breast. Let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Let the priests who minister before the Lord Weep between the temple porch and the altar. Let them say, Have compassion on your people, O Lord. Do not subject the inheritance you have given us to the scorn of the nations. Do not make us notorious among the nations as an object of ridicule. Why should they say among the peoples, Where is their God? The Lord is zealous for his land, and he will take pity on his people. The Lord will respond to them, I am sending you grain, new wine, and fresh oil enough to satisfy you fully. Never again will I subject you to scorn among the nations. Lord, these are your words, and therefore they are your truth. We ask that you'd increase our faith through them. Amen. Dear fellow redeemed, have you ever thought it to be a bit odd that we gather together on this evening known as Ash Wednesday, and yet we don't do anything with ashes? Why is that? Well, some have said the reason is, is, well, pastor, that's just too Catholic. The imposition of ashes is associated with the Catholic Church, probably not something we as, as Lutherans maybe should do. No, I myself am a proponent of the imposition of ashes. I think about how it can be a very useful teaching tool, especially for children, but even for adults, to use special things like that throughout the church year on special occasions that maybe engage senses other than just our hearing or our sight, but even our sense of touch as well as, as that cross is, is placed on one's forehead. There's maybe another reason to be cautious in implementing the imposition of ashes, and that's this. Some might think that by doing that on Ash Wednesday, they are doing what God requires when it comes to repentance. As long as I go to church on Ash Wednesday and get my ashes on my forehead, then I'm doing what God asks. Maybe they take a selfie and send it out to social media to let everyone know, see, I have repented. Know what God says in his word for us today. Tear your hearts and not your clothing. And so God pleads with with us, as he did with his people of old, repent with sincerity. Repent with sincerity because God's warning of judgment abound. Repent with sincerity because God sees the heart. Repent with sincerity because God is gracious and compassionate. Through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the prophet Joel spoke and recorded the words of our text for today. For the people of Judah. Many believe that he lived in around the late 800s BC, 
and that he served under a king in Judah by the name of Joash. And Joash received his direction from a high priest at that time by the name of Jehadiah. And though there had been times before this where the people of Judah had fallen into crass idol worship, at this time, worship had been restored in God's holy temple. And the people were coming back and they were carrying out the, the acts of worship that God had commanded them to. However, as we see in our lesson for today, while they were going through the motions of proper worship for God, their hearts weren't in it. And so as a result, God allows them to feel a bit of his judgment in a physical way. He sends locusts and a devastating drought upon the land. And as we hear in our lesson, their allies certainly were crying out, where is your God? What sort of God is this that allows such plagues to befall you? But God had purpose in all of it. He was doing it to call his people back to him, to wake them up to their unbelief and sin as he calls them to repentance. You know, in this day and age, uh, we in the church are very careful not to say that certain natural disasters or, or certain terrorist attacks and so forth are because of God's judgment. And the reason is, is we don't really know. I think about years ago, even 25 years ago, when that terrible tragedy of 9-11 occurred. Certainly there are people at the time that claim God is doing this because America has turned away from the faith. Or I think about a little while later, some of you remember a few decades ago with Hurricane Katrina in 2005 that came through and wrecked much of New Orleans. There are many people that said, well, it's because of the decadence of that city, even though surprisingly the most notorious areas of town, Bourbon Street, was spared. As we don't know for sure always if those things are acts of God's judgment or if they're simply a result of living in a broken, sin-filled world. We certainly do know that there have been times in the Bible, though, where God did act in that way. We think about the flood where he brought his judgment upon people at that time or Sodom and Gomorrah. And so God can and does do those things. And so even though when it comes to natural disasters, when it comes to terrorist attacks and trouble and, and, and turmoil in our world, what we can't say for sure is this an act of judgment for a specific sin. God yet wants us to learn a lesson from them. Consider what's written in Luke chapter 13. At that time, there were some present who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. He answered them, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered these things? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. Or those 18 who were killed when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they were worse sinners than all the people living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you will all perish too. You see, when tragedy strikes, God wants his people to learn a lesson. He doesn't want them to respond, aha, they finally got what they deserved, or to say, God, I thank you that I am not like other men. But instead, God wants our response to be, God, have mercy upon me, a sinner. As I mentioned before, today is Ash Wednesday. And one of the reasons that ashes have been traditionally placed on the heads of worshipers is because it's a reminder of our own mortality. 
as we will say today in the confession, dust you are, and to dust you shall return. As we're reminded that death comes for us all, not just for the crass, outwardly immoral unbeliever, but even for faithful churchgoers. So why is that? We know what the scripture says, the wages of sin is death. And it also says in another place, whoever keeps the whole law but stumbles in one point has become guilty of breaking all of it. And so Joel reminds God's people in Judah that they don't escape God's judgment simply because they claim to be the people of Abraham and of his descendants and of his line. Simply because they go through the motions of of worship in the temple, they too must repent. As we see in our lesson for today, that repentance, that call to repentance is for all. For the elderly, for the youngest of children, even the one nursing child, is a call to repent. For those who are just married, the bride and groom, as much joy fills their hearts, is a call to repent. Even for the priest who's serving God in his temple, God calls him to repent. And so if we don't feel that we have anything to repent of, think again. Perhaps our pride has overtaken us and we are under God's wrath and punishment. But God calls us to sincere repentance. So how do we do that? How do we repent? You know, in Old Testament times, they would often show symbols of sorrow in grief, in mourning, even sorrow over sin, too. And they do that in different ways. One of those ways was to place ashes on, on one's head. Another way was to wear rough clothing. Another way was to even tear one's garments as well. People would do these things in mourning and sorrow over the loss of a loved one. They would also do them at times when they were showing that they were contrite, that they were sorry for the sins that they had committed. Well, it seems like God's people in our lesson for today, they knew the right things to do when they went to church, at least on the outside, but their heart wasn't in it. You know, it, it reminds me of that, that story that's told in the Bible of Jairus when his daughter dies and all the professional mourners come out and they're weeping and wailing when Jesus comes and tells them she's just sleeping. They all of a sudden snap out of it and they start laughing at him. Their tears weren't real. Their hearts weren't in it. It was all a facade. But God isn't deceived. God can see the heart. He sees if we are truly sorrowful for the things that we have done or not. Now, sometimes we act in a humble and penitent way in church, and we go through the motions of saying the right things. But God wants not just our actions, but he wants our heart, too. He wants us to mean the words that we say. So what should we do? Well, in Luther's small catechism under the section of the Office of the Keys, he gives instructions for those who desire to repent. He says this, Consider your own situation according to the Ten Commandments. Whether you are father, mother, son, daughter, employer, employee, whether you have been disobedient, dishonest, lazy, whether you have injured anyone by word or deed, whether you have stolen, neglected, wasted anything, or done any harm. 
God desires us to examine ourselves. That's a big part, right? It's easy for us to examine everyone else as we know of all the bad things that other people have done to us or how they have messed up in their lives, but God instead wants us to examine our, our own hearts and our own lives and to consider the vocation, the roles that he has given us, that he has placed us in. And to also consider his commandments. Have we kept them? Have we fulfilled that role perfectly the way that God demands in his law? And if then we yet don't feel that we have any sin to confess, Luther says this in another place. He tells us to take our, our hand and put it on our chest and to feel if we are still flesh and bone. And to consider St. Paul's words in Romans 7, I know the good that, does not, the, that good does not live in me that is in my sinful flesh. The desire to do good is present in me, but I am not able to carry it out. So I fail to do the good I want to do. Instead, the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep doing. What a miserable wretch I am. Who will rescue me from this body of death? But know this, as we consider God's word, especially his law, he is at work. When we think about Jesus as he was about to ascend into heaven, he says one of the reasons that he goes away is so that he can send the comforter. He's talking about the Holy Spirit. And he explains one of the roles of the Holy Spirit is this, to convict the world about sin. The Holy Spirit is the one that leads us to feel guilt over what we have done wrong, to be ashamed of, of things that we have done wrong, uh, to see our sin. But God doesn't want us to stay there either. Prophet Joel encouraged God's people to repent with sincerity, not just because of the signs of God's judgment and, and not just because of God's omniscience that he knows the heart, but also because the Lord your God is gracious and compassionate. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy, he relents from sending disaster. God desired his people to repent, and he sent Joel to proclaim the message of repentance he wanted them to know it's not too late. He shows his mercy in that he doesn't bring his judgment immediately upon people, but he gives opportunity to see sin, to confess that sin, and to turn to him. Joel, knowing the attitude of God toward repentance, writes this, Who knows? He may turn and have pity and leave behind a blessing. Now, when I read through those words earlier this week, it reminded me of, of another story in the Bible. That's that story of Jonah when he goes to preach to the city of Nineveh. As he warns them, 40 more days, Nineveh will be overturned. We think about the king of, of Nineveh and how he responded. He called a fast. He called everyone to repent with sackcloth and ashes. Everyone in his city, everyone in his kingdom... Even the animals had sackcloth and ashes on too. And the king says this, Who knows? God may turn and relent. He may turn from his burning anger so that we will not perish. You see, the king must have seen in Jonah's statement a message of God's mercy. It doesn't seem like a message of mercy. Forty more days and Nineveh is going to be overturned. Where's the gospel in that? Forty more days. 
time. God was showing mercy in that he was giving them time to heed his word, to confess their sin, and to be spared. And the people did exactly that. They did to have outward signs of repentance with the sackcloth and ashes. The repentance was also in their heart, too, as they confessed their sin to God and turned to him for mercy. And God graciously showed it to them. The same is true for you. God has already shown mercy upon every one of us, hasn't he? He's shown mercy, especially in the fact that he has not brought his judgment crashing upon us the moment we are born into this world. He's given us time, and he calls us to repent. He encourages all from the oldest to youngest. He encourages everyone, whether they are a crass unbeliever or an every Sunday churchgoer. Repent. Repentance isn't just a a one-time thing. I repented when I first came to faith, Lord. No. He wants it to be a regular thing in the life of a Christian. We think about Luther's very first of his 95 theses where he said this, Our Lord and Master Jesus Christ, when he said, Repent, willed that the whole life of believers should be one of repentance. God desires that we regularly are sorrowful over the things that we have done, that we tell him that we are sorry. We confess those sins to him, and he is gracious to forgive. And what comfort we find for our sins in the words of St. John, who writes in his first epistle, If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But right before that, he also writes this, The blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That is God's promise to you. It's a promise that can't be revoked. As Christ himself said, the scripture cannot be broken. Heaven and earth may pass away, but my words will never pass away. It's that promise, the forgiveness of sins, that the blood of Jesus Christ, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. is true now and always. And so he invites you tonight to cling to that, to cling to his word of promise and to know that it is for you. It's for you because of Christ who comes to suffer and die for your sins. So that we might say with the psalmist, I will not die, no, I will live. And I will proclaim the works of the Lord. The Lord has chastened me severely, but he has not handed me over to death. Open for me the gates of righteousness, I will enter them. I will give thanks to the Lord. This is the gate to the Lord. The righteous enter it. I will give thanks because you answered me and you have become salvation for me. On this Ash Wednesday, whether we repent using ashes or not, God desires that repentance to be sincere, especially because we see the warning signs of his judgment, because we know that God sees the heart, but especially because of this, he is gracious and compassionate slow to anger and abounding in mercy, and he relents from sending disaster. God has removed your guilt, and he has forgiven your sin because of Christ. Go in peace. Amen. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and ever shall be, forevermore. Amen.